0: to say up front, um, I'm going to uh, kind of take a, a, a little rabbit trail today, but I, want you, I just want you to know I picked the, the, the psalm that I'm going to be preaching on first. I don't want you to think that the, the, the rabbit trail is the message, okay? It's going to take us and help us understand the message, but I picked the psalm first. It'll become apparent why that's important to me later on. Um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 32 this morning. Uh, Psalm 32 is a psalm that was written by uh, King David, uh, who wrote many of the psalms, uh, assembled a bunch of the other ones. And Psalm 32 is a psalm that David starts at the end. You know, like when you, uh, sometimes you watch a TV show or a movie, and they show the opening scene, and something, you know, catastrophic happens, or something great happens, and then they, they end the scene, and they say, like, six months earlier, or one week earlier, and then they tell you the story again that leads up to that, to that point. David starts this psalm at the end. He says this, count yourself lucky, how happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you're holding nothing back from him. That's where David is actually ending. Well, How did he get to this place? To understand David's happiness, you have to back up a few days or a few weeks. In verse 3, prior to this happening, he said, when I kept silent, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. Prior to this experience of joy and happiness, luckiness, David had been living under the crushing weight of a secret. Of something that he was hiding, of something that he dreaded anyone finding out about. It's it's the kind of thing, that that habit that you've been justifying. It's it's just, it's not really that bad. I'm not not hurting anyone. I'll figure this out. I'll, I'll, I'll make it better. I'll make it work. It's the corner that you cut that led to a little white lie but then became a little bigger lie as you covered up that lie and then it became a bigger lie and pretty soon is what we used to call Max and the big fat lie. It's that thing that you happened, that happened in Vegas but didn't stay in Vegas and now it's hunting you down. It's that proverbial thing that you hide in the closet. The kind of thing that makes you ask, how could I be so stupid to have done this? How could I have been so stupid to let this happen? The kind of thing that you hope nobody else ever finds out about because if they ever do, they're gonna think, how could you have been so stupid? How could you do something so dumb? Maybe it's more garden variety. But in David's experience, if you've got something that you can't tell anyone about and you can't forget about it, if you've got something in the closet and nobody else knows and it haunts you, you have a problem. And everything inside of David and everything inside of the person who has the secret, we carry these secrets. Everything inside of this is saying, keep it inside. Don't let it out into the light of the day. Don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody know. I hope nobody ever finds out about it. But then there's this other force, external force, that is pressing in and squeezing this secret out. And David says in verse 4, describes that, that the pressure of holding this secret inside never let up. All the juices of my life dried up inside of me. In another translation, it's like it's being in the heat of the sun. It's just sapping your energy, keeping this secret, hiding it away. And then the breakthrough comes in verse 5. Then. When I kept this secret, it was killing me. It was pressing it on me. It was weighing me down. Then I let it out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. I'll come clean. I'll bring this secret into the light of day. We typically associate addiction with substance abuse. But addiction is anything that takes control over our life for comfort, for pleasure, for security, for escape, for meaning. Anything that we hold on to, anything that we look to, anything that we pursue in place of God. And that's essentially what David is describing. Is something that has taken root in his life that is shameful. And it has a grip on him. And he doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't want anybody to find out. And it's weighing down on him. The 12-step program is probably the most effective tool for breaking addiction over the last several decades. Eight of the 12 steps in the 12-step program are about confession and repentance. Eight of the 12 steps say this. If you want to get free, you had better start talking. If you want to get free, you better bring that thing that's hiding down in your soul out into the light of day, no matter the cost, to be set free. Jesus said, the truth, not the lie, not the secret, the truth will set you free. And it's then that David said, suddenly, when I confessed my sin, when I talked about it, when I let it out, when I brought it into the light of day, then he said, suddenly the pressure was gone, my guilt dissolved, and my sin disappeared. And that's why David is so happy. That's why he starts out as lucky is the person who's not hiding any secrets anymore. I'm free now. Which brings me back, believe it or not, to Taylor Swift. You've all been waiting for this. I... Um, Several months ago, when I heard about the Taylor Swift tour, decided that I wanted to go to the Taylor Swift concert. And I I didn't want to go because I was a Swifty, yet. I almost lost my ticket before the concert because I didn't use the word yet. I wasn't a Swifty yet. I didn't necessarily want to go because it was going to be the biggest tour in the history of concerts. I wanted to go because my daughters love Taylor Swift, and I love my daughters, and I wanted just to be a part of the experience of doing the Taylor Swift concert with them. Now, prior to the concert, I have to be honest, there was a big part of me, a very big part of me, that was going as what you might call a sociologist. I wanted to see, I wanted to sit back and observe this phenomenon, whatever it was, and try and understand it. What is it about this that is so amazing? And I had this conviction prior to the concert, it's like, no, 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 don't, don't go as an observer, go as a participant. Go, go and be a part of the experience. Go and enjoy it and just be, be a part of the whole thing. And I did. And it did not disappoint. It was a phenomenal experience. I had a great time. Um, thoroughly enjoyed being with my daughters and their friends and they were kind enough and gracious enough to, to let me crash their party, which I was immensely honored by. I mean, I can remember a time in my life when my daughters would have said, you wanna do what? <laughs> right? And they actually like, they didn't invite me to go, but when I said I wanted to go, they were like, cool. And, and it was fun. Post-experience, I reserved the right. Actually, I feel like I had the responsibility to say, but really, what is it? What is it about Taylor Swift uniquely that has made her such a phenomenon? Um... She's a talented musician, undeniable. I mean, she's a piano player, she's a guitar player, she's a vocalist, uh, she's, she's a great performer. She, she puts on an, an awe-inspiring show. I mean, just bells and whistles and smoke and lights and raising and falling stages and pits that she's jumping into. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, very entertaining show. But there are lots of great entertainers. There are lots of great musicians. There are lots of great performers. I think there are lots of great concerts. Taylor broke Ticketmaster. She, she sold out like 20 stadiums, dozens and dozens of shows in less than an hour. She's putting on what will expected to be the first billion dollar tour in the history of the world. She's actually been um, credited with boosting the economies of every city that her tour goes into. It's a phenomenon. I think part of her story is beyond her performer, her musical talents and her, her um, talents as a performer, is that Taylor Swift is a, is a storyteller. And the story that she's telling is about identity, about roles, about expectations that people have of her, about people have of women, about people have about um, success and failure and and meaning. That she um, talks about relationships in general about good relationships. Um, She loves her mom and and writes songs about that relationship. She talks about um, bad relationships, um, about like all the liars and the the dirty, dirty cheats. And she talks about ugly relationships, most of which have to do with something um, to do with Kanye West. Um, She talks mostly about love interest specifically about wanting love, falling in love, being in love, failed love, requited love, lost love, and questioning love. But in my final analysis, no, not my final, in my best understanding to date, this is what I think. That it is all of those things it is about her talent. It is about her performance. It is about her, her um, ability to tell a great story. But I think her secret sauce is this. It's the authenticity and the vulnerability with which she does it. She opens up the door to all of these things pulls back the curtain to the boardroom where she's doing, running her business and to um, into her house into her bedroom and places where all these relationships are taking place. She opens up her journal and she puts it on. And she just like opens her heart wide up as she's telling these stories. But not as a finished product. Not like I did this and I figured it out and here's the end of the story. It's like she's telling this in real time as she's experiencing it in all of the angst and all the confusion and all the sorrow and all the doubt and all the hopes and all the dreams and just putting it all out there for everyone to see in real time as it's unfolding. It's like Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book, he talks about his pursuit of meaning in life. And he, and he looks at fame and fortune and wealth and power and prestige and pleasure. And, and, he, and he kind of puts it all out there. But he's telling you after he's done the quest and after he's all figured it out. She's like opening this whole thing up for us to see as it's unfolding. It's, um, it's like this, okay? So I, I listen to her songs. And, so, and I say this to, to my Swifty friends, mostly my daughters. I say, you know, I listen to this song, and I'm trying to understand this, and I hear her say in one song, or even in the same song, I, was like, I am strong, I'm powerful, I'm a woman, I've got my life under control, everything is great, I don't need a man to make me whole, I don't need a man to, to, to complete me. And then she sings the next song, and it's like, I'm so in love and I need this person and my heart breaks for them and I'm not fulfilled without you and you've broken my heart and you're gone. And I'm like, she's saying on one hand, I don't need a man. She's saying on the other hand, I really want a man. It's like, which is it? And they said, yes. (laughs) Yes. She's not solving the problem. She's just putting it all out there for everyone to see. In a culture that lures us into projecting the best version of ourselves or the one that will get us the most attention on Instagram. Taylor Swift has mastered the ability to put words to things that her fans think and feel, but that nobody says. And she invites them to then explore those things together with her. She actually said in the concert, she says, I write songs because I think and feel things, and I feel like I'm alone. But when I sing these songs in the stadium, and you all sing along with me, I feel like I'm not alone. Taylor is tapping into the human desire to be known completely and loved fully. Naked and unashamed was the way that is described in Genesis. As David said, Lucky is the person who has let everything out of the closet and has nothing to hide anymore and is loved and is powerfully engaging. And I've got to land this thing and it's ultimately not a message about Taylor Swift. The danger is that like this simultaneously miraculous and completely predictable ending of a bad Christian movie, that I'm going to sweep Taylor Swift's angst under the rug. I'm gonna try not to do that, okay? Paul um, was strolling through the streets of Athens one day. It could have been SoFi Stadium. And among the many idols that he saw in the city, he found one that said, an altar to an unknown God. An altar to an unknown God. That is, you have all these gods that you're worshiping, and you've covered your bases so fully that you figure you probably haven't covered them all. So there's one out there that you don't know, and they've been an altar for that God. And Paul, as he speaks to the Athenians that day, affirmed their zeal. I can see that you're very hungry for truth. I can see how badly you want to know what's real. David said in Psalm 8, spoke of this truth. Human beings were made a little lower than God and crowned with glory and honor. Human beings were made and crowned with glory and with honor, with something that is to shimmer, with something that is to shine, with something that is a reflection of the glory of God. And none of us are that. None of us live a life that is crowned completely revealed with glory and honor. And that's what sin is. Paul says elsewhere that all have sinned and fallen short of what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Fallen short of this glory for which we were created. And shame is the difference between what we were made for and what we were meant to be and who we actually are. And it's that, the difference, the gap between what we were made to be, our glory and honor, and who we are, that gap is what we are compelled to hide, what we hope that no one will see. And it is what Jesus came to restore. So it's probably a surprise to no one that I think that's what David was dealing with in Psalm 32 when he's got this secret that he's hiding and it's crushing. He's being crushed beneath the weight of it and bringing it out into the light of day. And what Taylor Swift is trying to do when she writes a song and sings it to an audience that is trying to figure out why they feel like they're less than what they were meant to be and still long to be that and somehow be who they are and where they are and known and loved in the midst of it. Paul said to the Athenians, what you worship is known, unknown, I am going to make known to you. I'm going to tell you what it is that you're looking for. And what you are looking for is God. And he's not far away. He's not off in the distance. He says it's in him, it's right here with him that we live and move and have our being. Jesus said there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark, you will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Everything, everything hidden, Jesus says, will be revealed the good, the bad, and the ugly. And shame is not a human construct. It's not like false guilt, that there really is something wrong with our humanity because we were made for glory and honor and we've fallen short of it and that's what we don't want anyone else to know about. And this stuff, you can't just shake it off. You cannot shake off true shame. It is the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. There is freedom that is available to us. The removal of the shame, the restoration of our glory. And it's all covered by Christ. Christ. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Who Jesus sets free is free indeed. Who Jesus sets free, who Jesus cleanses, whose sin is covered, atoned by the blood of Jesus, The glory is restored. And so, to the saints among us, Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven is upon us. He said, it's here, this day of freedom, this day of the restoration of glory, it is upon you. Ask for it. Pray for it. Seek it. It's coming. It's not fully arrived yet. But be confident in our hope, passionate and humble in our pursuit. Are we as hungry and thirsty for this glory as the people who pack a stadium when we know the cleansing that is available to us through Christ, we forget it and we're not there yet. This is what we Christians tend to do. Fake it. Pretend. We're farther along than we are. We're better than we are. We can come to church on a Sunday morning and look our best selves like well, i'm probably not my best self today i don't know it's a matter of opinion and walk home and everybody thinks hey they got it all together they're fine are we honest are we authentic are we being true to who we're becoming to what christ has done to us and to where we are on the journey if we claim john says to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins if we confess our sins if we talk if we talk about our pain our suffering if we're authentic if we're vulnerable he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness to the saints can we learn from the authenticity and the vulnerability And the power that that has to engage and to connect and bring people together who long to be known and loved and accepted to the saints. To claim what's ours and watch and wait and pray and let's live in real life and real authenticity and real community because honestly, that's what the people hate about the church. It's what people hate about Christians and it's what they love about Taylor Swift. To the Swifties, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. Thank you to my daughters and their friends for letting me crash their party. For the lady who took my fixture with my shirt on because she thought it was so cool that I was there with my daughters. Uh, for the Swifty young ones who gave me these little friendship bracelets because <laughs> I didn't know and showed out without any and they thought, this guy needs some help here. That was really cool. Collectively to the Swifties. Collectively, I was enchanted to meet you. For Swifties, forgive me. I'm a rookie. Maybe you think I'm wrong in my analysis. Maybe you think there's some other aspect of her secret sauce. Regardless of whether I hit it on the spot or not, the offer is true. The offer is true. You can be real. You can be vulnerable. You are broken. There is shame. It's better to be real and to fake it. But there is genuine, authentic cleansing, healing, and restoration available. And it is Jesus, and it's what he came for, and it's what he's offering. To anyone who's locked in a closet and being buried under the weight of shame and guilt, and life is being sucked out of you, I encourage you. I plead with you. Find someone. And bring your shame and bring your pain into the light of day. Because it will destroy you in the darkness. And the light will set you free. Tell someone the truth. Secrets kill. The truth sets you free. And in closing, I'd be lying to say that I don't wish the church was more like a Taylor Swift concert. Right? One of the things that I read about after the concert was this idea of collective effervescence. Anybody ever heard of collective effervescence? Yeah, right? It's this idea that when a bunch of people come together around a common cause or theme or event, that it creates this collective energy that is powerful and compelling. And it just doesn't happen at Taylor Swift concert. It happens at all concerts. It happens at football games and basketball games and and all over in different areas of life. It happens in a powerful way in those contexts. The day is coming when Taylor Swift will be but a shadow Not Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift concert. And that collective effervescence will be but a shadow. Because Jesus is going to return in glory. And David ends his psalm this way. Celebrate God. Sing together. Everyone. Listen. All you honest hearts. All you honest hearts. not fake, not pretend. All you honest hearts, raise the roof. That's the end of the story. It is the biggest, greatest, most amazing celebration, not just 20 cities and 146 shows or five continents. Every tribe and tongue and nation Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and for all of eternity. Vulnerability and authenticity are the path to freedom and the presence of God and the company of the saints. Thank you, Taylor Swift and her Swifty friends for helping me see more of what I want the church to be, more of what I want us to be, a people who are real, people who are honest, people who know that we're not perfect, people that know how much Jesus has done for us and the freedom that that gives us to be real with each other and to be real with the world. Lord, um, we sang this morning that you turn shame into glory. And every day, every day, we are haunted in our humanity. By this gnawing sense that we were made for more, meant to be more than what we are. And everything in us wants to hide that. And Jesus came to restore it. Pray for greater courage be real before you, to be real with each other, to learn and grow together, to offer not our finished selves, but our in-process selves that invites people in, into our lives, into our stories together can learn and grow and explore and live more and more fully into into the glory for which you created us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.